I have a few reflections to offer tonight. Um, and I'm noticing that I don't feel quite so bright and sharp, so they may be <laughs> duller and blunter. <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, because the mind is also not me, not mine, right? Sometimes it shows up in particular ways and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I've told this before, I think it was here at IMS, Vimalo Kulbats, he was a monk in, I think, Thailand, German man, and he was teaching here, must be 25 years or more ago, and he came in to take this seat one night, and he sat there um, for a while in silence, and then looked up at everyone and said, the Holy Spirit isn't at home tonight. <laughs> And left. <laughs> it's like, wow. It's nice, isn't it, to be able to take ourselves a little lightly. having to get ourselves right. Isn't that quite a bit of the ego activity that we see in our own mind? Trying to get this one right in some way, even spiritually right. The right spiritual experience or the right meditation or write so that I don't, so that I'm not wrong, because that would be terrible. It can be a real dreaded state for many of us to be either seen as wrong or feel ourselves as wrong or sense that our very existence is somehow erroneous, that there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong, wrong that I am at all. Um, and in Dharma, Dharma teaching, when we're asked to understand the end of that tendency to extract ourselves from the totality into that separate self, we're even being asked to let go of the self-reflection or the self-image that I am good as a place to identify with, as a, as a who I am, as a who I am. And so to clarify, Pascal talked last night about Kusala and Akusala, skill and non-skill. Yes, we are asked to cultivate skill. 
And we are, there is, in the Dharma teaching, a path of karma, of skillful action, wholesome action, that has wholesome results, that is wholesome, that is good. That's really, that is good. And we're asked to cultivate that, the, the generosity, the patience, the kindness, the, all the beautiful human good qualities that we can cultivate the meditative ones, the steadiness, the samatha, the things that lead onward. We're asked to cultivate the good and Dharma teachings also are encouraging us to know that goodness so that we can, well, for a few reasons, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's of service to this world. It's a protection in this world. And because in this milieu of that wholesomeness, we're more able to release our grip. We're more able, more at home, to not have to keep scrambling to make myself whatever it is you see in your mind that we're trying to make ourselves, yourself. So the goodness is absolutely there in the path, but not as an identity. One of my teachers says, and I find it very clear and very helpful, he says, Dharma teachings and practice do not tell us who we are. They tell us where we are, how we are, but not who we are in any um, place where we can finally say, got it, now I know who I am, done. That we are even asked to relinquish the who that would like to reflect back to myself that but I'm good, I am. Please don't tell me I'm bad. Please don't make me um, reflect I want to. I want to stay in the. I want to stay in the good realms. Releasing that grip does not mean that we are bad. Releasing that grip is to enter back into the totality that we extract ourselves from, in order to try and get a perch, a little perch. Do any of you like look for a perch? You know, like a like a place to alight and go. Okay, this is me. Now I know, or which could be anything. This is me, I'm good. This is me, I'm terrible. This is me, I'm deficient. This is me, I'm marvelous. All of them, when we take hold, they give us a little island to perch on. But it's an island. It's an island that hasn't seen the Dhamma. And I think a lot of islands, I I'm, remember my A-level geography here, but the islands, you know, you look a little deeper and they're connected. I mean, there's those 
volcanic islands, aren't there? There's different formations how they arise. But that connectedness to something in the underlying patterning that when we take ourselves as that island, we have forgotten. So relinquishing good and bad. Beyond good and bad, so we have a path of karma, of cultivating the wholesome, the beautiful, the nourishing, the uplifting. And the Buddha also speaks about the path of the end of karma. The end of karma. Where the ending of conceiving of ourself as that separate one, no matter how good or how beyond redemption we think we are, those are both seen as the banana tree trunk and something much more um, whole we can rest in. And isn't the rest what we want? Isn't the peace what you want? You know, when you examine your heart's desire, anything that brought you here on that first night piece of paper the next morning, what brings me here? Check it out. But what I found out when I look at my heart's desires of what brings me to practice, however they're worded on the initial first lines, let's say, I want... I want, what do I want? <laughs> what do you want? Even, even if we take it out of the context of the retreat, you know, something I want to do, you know, great activity on my bucket list, as they call it. That's, do you call it that? Yeah. Um, strange word. Um, let's say there's something that we want to do. Okay. I know, bungee jumping. I don't know, bungee jumping? I don't, but personally. But let's say, you know, there's something we want to do. Okay, going to do that thing. Okay, because when I've done it, I'll have done it. Or when I do it, I'll experience, and I'll be so alive. I'll be so alive when I do it. Or, and, and we go through with each of those, follow those. If I'm, I feel that so aliveness, because when I felt so alive, I will feel complete. And when I feel complete, <coughs> ah, then I'll be satisfied. And when I'm satisfied, ah, then I can rest. Then I can know peace. Check it out. This is my proposition that any of those things will take us back to that deep longing at the center, I, I would say, of all of us, of which we may word as the call to peace. And a peace such that we can rest back in our nature and be here unhindered with each other, expressing our nature quietly or not quietly, however that nature is to be expressed. Somebody today um, spoke in the group meeting and she said, I'm feeling a bit wobbly. Um, I'm not sure who's this is my paraphrasing I'm not sure who's steering the ship anymore (laughs) I'm not sure who's the captain I can't remember what her language was 
not sure who's kind of governing this thing. She said, I used to think that I was taking a step on the earth, doing my walking meditation, treading, treading, treading. Isn't that what we teach? And she said, but I have had the experience that spoke to me more deeply that I wasn't treading, but actually the earth was rising up to me. Complete shift of perception there. That the earth was rising up to meet me. And then she said, and what I understood from this was, well, firstly, there was a, there were tears in her eyes and there was a sense of the support that was coming and being held, which didn't fit with the conception that I'm doing this life. Isn't that what we're taught? Not necessarily here, but I'm doing this life and I've got to take the next step and put the next step forward. And right? She said, it offered me a perspective of being held She said, but what I also saw was that I old modality, and it will come back again, um, usually they come back, but she'll see it more, uh, usually a little more swiftly. That modality of treading on, me, treading on, she said, I do that to myself. It's the same thing. I inadvertently tread on parts of myself, because I'm steering the ship. When I think I'm steering the ship, I tread on parts of myself. And they don't get seen. They can't rise up. They can't rise up to be what they are, to have their day in the sun, to be freed, to reveal their nature. It's a different conception, that conceiving of me, no matter how good nor bad, how, what would it be if we didn't try to make our home in who I am, but in where I am, in where I am. It's said in this tradition that the last fetter, so the last iron bondage to release in the path of awakening, at least in this map here, and I, I appreciate this map very much in this regard, the last thing we let go of after understanding various things along the way after various stages where anger gets a bit softer and then it disappears, um, views of self-reflection and um, self-inferencing have gone. The last fetter to go is conceiving myself. Conceiving myself. Believing the image and the identity that is born out of conditions. 
and extracting myself as I. It's, it's translated as con, the conception, the conceiving I am. I am X. I am dot, dot, dot. That conceiving myself as who the definition is given rather than the where. So not being surprised that we do this. It's the last fetter to go. Not making ourselves wrong for doing it, but it feels, it feels painful. Have you, and maybe you've noticed this, even the extracting of myself, you know, say you do something really good. Um, you have a great meditation, you had a great insight, you know, it's all going marvelously. And then two hours later, yes, I, right? And there's that celebration and the joy, of course, there are fruits of practice and we can enjoy those. But then we find ourselves seven hours later, I am. Can they tell? <laughs> Have they seen? Do they know? I am. And there, Pascal's metaphor from the teachings of the banana tree trunk. But if we sense into how that feels directly as it rises up from the totality, where we have to keep reflecting ourselves back to ourselves, it actually soon wears thin, it soon loses dimension, and Quite frankly, it doesn't feel great. We can tell ourselves a great story for a while, but actually the more fundamental loss is the loss of that, knowing we're not the island, even the best island. That leaves us bereft. That leaves us with the sense of loss. And I would say that leaves us with the sense that something is wrong. We have pulled ourselves up and we've lost the ground. We've extracted ourselves up and we've lost our belonging. We've extracted ourselves and we try and create our belonging in another image of when they see how great I am. Or that one, like night and day, <laughs> that one, not a far cry from, oh my goodness, when they see how terrible I am. Right? Or I see how terrible I am. Can you see this? One of my teachers used to say, like night and day, like two sides of a coin, heads and tails, we wed ourselves to that one and we are wedded to the other side of the coin. My rightness, my wrongness. So willing to release even that conceiving. And then breathe out with that. And the person this morning goes, and I'm a little bit wobbly when I'm not sure, when we can't make the perch, when we can't just use the familiar conception of, there's me doing my practice, and it's good, isn't it? And it is good. It doesn't mean it's not good. But it's good, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. And as we tread this path of wholesomeness, 
we can start to give up the con- separate conceiving, conceiving ourselves separately. You know, the story, I was ambivalent about this story, my Christina used to tell, of the salt child. And the story is this child made of salt gets to the edge of the ocean and um, gets curious. <laughs> you can guess, maybe you can guess what's going to happen. <laughs> and, and goes, oh, oh, and puts one foot in, right? And, you know, eventually gets in, has enough trust, gets in. Watch where your mind goes with that. Mind used to go, but, but then, but then, but then I'm just a bunch of salt. Right? But let yourself go. We've, we, we've talked a lot about particularity and the beauty of particularity. But knowing that, that release, that, imagine that salt child. Ah. Oh. Ah, can you imagine that? Do you know that? Can you sense that possibility of that kind of release? Ah, beyond good and bad, beyond right and wrong. Not that there is not wholesomeness and unwholesomeness. There is in this world and we attend. But beyond good and bad, Makes me happy. <laughs> where does it? Where do you go with it? Where do you go with it? Yeah, one point, I think. Um, have you ever noticed in practice, so I want to look a little bit at this, this sense that something's not right, the sense that something's wrong. And that can either then become me or someone else or something else. How it arises in practice. Anyone know the experience where you're sitting there uh, with your body, with your breath, with your mind, with your good intention. And um, something's not going how you want it to go. Last retreat, I was more concentrated. This retreat, I'm not. My mind's all over the place. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Um, Who then knows the part where you go, oh, what's the cause of that? of this sense of wrongness. Did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong in my retreat this time? Have I, have I come here? Is it me that's wrong or, or are they wrong? And we're looking for the place to put the wrongness somewhere. Any of you know that? You ever, oh, and, and how it... Yes, good, I'm glad you... <laughs> um, the sense that if they're here, the sense that if there's suffering arising, it means there's something wrong. That's a really interesting one. That really touches my heart. You know, some pain, let's say physical pain or heart pain. Oh, we, it's hard to just recognize pain as pain. No, no, pain is there. It's unpleasant. And something's wrong. <clears throat> something's wrong. And, and sadly, you know, then something's wrong with me. Sadly, um, 
it can even be reinforced sometimes in certain spiritual circles that we create the suffering, so to speak. And the Buddha didn't say it like that. He said, no, there is skillfulness and unskillfulness. But he, but he was very clear that there is no first cause to suffering. There is suffering. There is suffering. And he doesn't put someone or something to blame for that. So I hope you really get, and I, I hope I... We don't need to say very clearly, yes, there are clearly things in this world that we want to attend to. But we'll probably have more chance of meeting that when we look a little bit at that tendency to want to grip around and make someone or something the primary and first cause of that suffering. I was struck recently reading something speaking about the different creation narratives that have come from different cultures and different times. And, um, and again, this is with, hearing this absolutely without blame because all of them have something to offer into our picture as a, as a species, as a, um, as a planet of beings. But the, at the Western narrative, uh, the Judeo-Christian creation narrative is uh, historically is the first one where something or someone is to blame for suffering. Uh, before that, the cycles of birth and death and, and pain and that, that was part of the part of the scope that in this, and this isn't to knock it at all, I don't have a, a complaint about this, except that we, we're still uh, li- living in the West. We will still be receiving the legacy of that narrative. Um, that as the God in that conception rises above the earth, he... It's also a lonely God, right? He's the first God also that doesn't have a family. They all had families before that. <laughs> so he's a he's, poor guy. You know, so there he is. He rises above. He has, a, he has a good view on things. And that allows certain things to develop in consciousness. right? He has a good view on things. But we know the narrative that in that self... Um, uh, what do you call it? We have it all the time. Self-consciousness, that's right. What happens in the garden? They become self-conscious. And something doesn't feel right, right? Something doesn't feel right. And then the snake is to blame. And then Eve and Adam. And God blames Adam. Yeah, that way around. And then God blames Adam. All right for tasting of that knowledge, of that self-conceiving. And, and, and that's been a, that capacity to self-reflect is very important. It's, it, it's that capacity where we can turn around and look at ourselves and actually reflect. I can reflect on what's here. So two things. Awakening is beyond self-reflection. 
It's, a, it's another paradigm than self-reflection. Self-reflection is useful, necessary, uh, heedful, supports wholesome karma, supports kusala action. And awakening, we could say, is from that basis of self-reflection to a, a paradigm shift in the understanding. But that narrative of someone is to blame, something is to blame, Let's, let's see when we're doing that to ourselves as absolute cause. It's not that we can't ascribe yes and give feedback and help each other wake up, absolutely. But where it gets attributed, narrowed to self or another, this is something we can heal from because that, that breaks our heart. So the guilt that some of us know well, been a word I've heard a fair bit this week, actually. Um, What I'm finding out about guilt is that that's a way that I try to hover above, make myself bad or wrong, right, for whatever it was or is. And that the next stage for me is that letting down to feel the stage of the pain for all the ways that I have extracted myself all the ways that we may have extracted ourselves in our family, our neighborhood, our culture, our clan, our nation, our species. That I see the ways that the boundless heart, the boundless heart that is not extracting, it's beyond extracting itself. It knows its nature, it's awakened, it is at home. All the ways I've extracted myself, that's what I want to bow before. That's what I want to let down and start to feel the pain of that separation in the heart. Dip my toes in the waters of that. As the person in the group this morning, yes, for the ways that I have extracted myself and trodden on the earth, forgetting Maybe it's not quite like that. So the guilt, trying to keep myself in a certain conception, often what I find with it is that I want to try and remain good. I want to still be the good one. Please don't tell me I'm bad. But Dharma teachings aren't telling us either of those things. Dharma is to see the underlying patterning in, in everything, in the universe, in the planet, in systems. See the underlying patterning and settle into that. That's where we meet each other. Through those layers of the patterning that is some of it beautiful, some of it painful, some with a legacy of pain. We can let 
ourselves down through the layer of guilt back into the ocean. With the salt children, the salt children, we can kind of meet each other there beyond right and wrong. Shall we meet there? we meet there there's a poem and I'm going to offer you to join in the singing of it if you like um, from Rumi famous one did you say mm, to Rumi or mm, because you know which one I'm going to do <laughs> um, could be either couldn't it mm, to Rumi uh, one of his poems be, um, beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing there's a field I'll meet you there. And then it goes on to say, when the soul lies down in that grass, who knows the next bit? The world, the world is too much. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too much to speak about. Even ideas like you and me don't make it. Even idea, thank you. Even ideas of self and other don't make sense. All right. So beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And when the soul lies down in that grass, the world's too much to speak about. And even ideas of self and other don't make sense. So I can't remember if I ever did this. Did we do this once, Patricia? Patricia knows it. So I'm going to teach you a melody. We can sing just the first bit. So beyond ideas of wrongdoing, right and wrongdoing, there's a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. Okay? And I'll teach you the melody and we'll just sing it and as or or not sing it, if that's what you want to do or listen. Um, and once you get the melody or hear the melody and the words, see if you can let yourself uh, rest in that awakened aspect because the awakening is atemporal it's not in time right so when the buddha speaks about the when we speak about the refuges of buddha dharma sangha they are timeless they're atemporal it's here and now some dharma traditions some buddhist traditions you will see the nature of this awakened mind pointed to as a primary practice. It's like, it's now. Can you see? <laughs> it's here, beyond all of that scrambling of self. Right here and now, can you know that? Some Dharma teachers' teachings point there. Other Dharma teachings point to what's in the way of us knowing that. What are the obscurations? What are the places I keep getting snagged and making an island? or a tree trunk, right? And in insight practice, we typically more will point with skill to those ways that that is obscured, the ways that the, the awakened mind is obscured. And we get really fine. And somebody was saying who normally practices in, in another tradition, they were appreciating the precision of some of the 
teachings here that help us really see those places where we extract, where we create, where we fabricate. So we see that, we work with that, but that's not the whole story, right? Why do we work with that? So that we can know. We can be, so that we can be skillful, there's the kusala, and so that we can know and deepen in that trust, that call to the, to the ocean would be one metaphor, the call of the salt child to the ocean, that we can know that, deepen in that faith that uh, I would say brings us here, even if it's desperation that brings us here. There's still some faith, actually, that something, I, I get that something might be possible. Don't quite know yet how it all fits together, but I have a sense that something's possible in this, this knowing. And for others, it may be a, a, a roaring fire of faith and passion for that um, knowing. So it goes like this. So it's beyond ideas of right and wrong doing. There's a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Okay. So it goes. I'll sing it first and then I'll do this thing. It goes. Beyond ideas of right and wrong doing. There is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you. Beyond ideas of right and wrong doing, there is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Beyond ideas of right and wrong doing, there is a I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there, beyond ideas of right and wrong doing. There is a field, a 
breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you of right and wrong doing there is a field a breathing field I'll meet you there I'll meet you there I'll meet you there beyond ideas of right and wrong doing there is a field a breathing field I'll meet you there I'll meet you there I'll meet you there beyond ideas of right and wrong doing there is a field a breathing field I'll meet you there I'll meet you meet you there beyond ideas of right and wrong doing there is a field a breathing field I'll meet you there I'll meet you there I'll meet you there Beyond ideas Of right and wrong doing I'll meet you there I'll meet you there
and letting your body breathe. Maybe asking your body how it would like to breathe right now if we're not making it something that needs fixing this body and mind. Breathing out and any ways that we may have held ourselves up or separate or hidden or pushed forward. Breathing out and like the salt, little molecules of salt resting back into the ocean of the silence that's here. The silence that knows us intimately. That can, if we let the silence and the stillness impress itself upon us. Make an impression right through the cells and the heart. Like inking out. our separateness. No one that we have to be. No one that we have to become. And nowhere that we have to hide because it's Benevolent. Our nature is good. Not the kind of good that's in opposition to bad. But the kind of good that is whole and complete. Not the kind of love that is in opposition to hate, but the kind of love that is big enough and wide and deep that it can hold the hatred, work with it, breathe with it, care about how it arises and its effects. without you having to extract and leave your home.
It says in one of the commentaries, (coughs) suffering is, but no one who suffers. The path is, but no one who walks the path. Nivarna is, but no one who enters it. And relinquishing ourselves in this moment, giving ourselves back to earth, to each other, to our nature. Please stay with the silence of the night, either sitting or walking or standing, and we'll meet back for the last sitting. <clears throat> 